Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Blair Hannon, welcome back to the Australian Investors Podcast. On Rask, I feel like a you know, it's every couple of weeks now, but it is good. It's great to be back. It is. It is. It does feel like that. We do chat a lot, whether it's here or uh, on Self Off Live recently, wherever we chat. It's always good fun, mate. So today we're going to be talking about this idea of artificial intelligence and how to get exposure to it. And there are a number of funds that we might bring up from the Global X range as we talk through this. And we're going to talk about it from an investor's perspective. I've been getting a lot of questions around, should I buy Microsoft because it has a partnership with OpenAI to get exposure to this. And uh, we'll talk about many different kind of, I guess, variations of that. But before we get into it, I've just got to add the disclosure that uh, GlobalX is a long-term sponsor of RAS Podcasts, which we are incredibly grateful for. And you'll always find that disclosure in the show notes. And uh, we are recording this on the 16th of June, 2023. So we're trying to keep the data accurate, but it can be different by the time you hear it. So be sure to read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any funds that we mention, such as those which may be available on the Global X ETFs website. There's a link in the show notes. So, mate, this idea of technology has been around for a long time, but I think the buzzword of 2023 is definitely AI for investors. And when that gets brought in, we think of like the singularity, we think of like these things that just kind of take over the known universe as we know it. And one of the things that we first come to is like, will AI take my job? So I'm curious, are you worried about that? Oh, look, I'm actually turning 41 this year. Look, it's in my working life, it's very likely that components of this job, if I do this job forever, will get taken over by AI. And, but I don't think fully. I think you might have seen there's a really good Goldman Sachs did a really good chart or like, you know, graph, whatever you want to call it, of where they think that most of the, the takeaways or, you know, where the automation comes from AI. I think the biggest one, if you think about like highly educated people, is in legal because it's so structured and, the, and we know that there's the, uh, the AI at the moment has tried to, in particular, what we, I think what we're going to spend a lot of time on today is generative AI over broad AI, but you know, the generative AI has done a lot of work in that, you know, it's passed the bar exam in the US. It's tried to try some cases pretty badly, but it goes back to the context. If it's a very set 
situation like in law where you can look up the law, previous law and use that as a precedent, all these sorts of things. There's a really good chance for it to do that, but it's still just, it's just such early days. But, but, but on the back of that, yes, investment wise, thinking about investments and we have, there's a couple of little things early on now, like we, obviously we're an ETF provider where, where we track an index, that's a bit different. For an active fund manager, and I'm not one of those, but if you are, there is potential and there's a couple of early iterations, but it's going to grow obviously that AI plays a role in trying to predict market movements and stocks and these sorts of things. So it's going to play a role in certainly every facet of enterprise, I would think. It's really interesting. I think if you think about like what Jim Simons has been doing since like the 70s or 80s, the 80s, you know, he's been using quantitative methods to exploit pricing through Renaissance technologies. And I feel like that type of thing, I mean, it will all come down to the data that you use, but I feel like that type of thing is like right in the sweet spot for what this type of technology can do. So you got to know where your edge is and know where it isn't, I guess, is the, the key thing there. And I think from all accounts, Renaissance is pumping a lot of money into AI integration research, these sorts of things. That's its sweet spot, as you mentioned, of being ahead of everyone else and being better than everyone else when it comes to, to data. So yeah, that makes a bunch of sense for me. We are talking about like the investor's perspective when it comes to these technologies, but you mentioned a term there called generative AI. So can you maybe just define that term, what you mean by that, and then just talk to that more broadly and then we'll drill into it. Yeah, so I think the context always is with AI. And for many people, look, it's been around, like we know it's been around for a long time, but there's an inflection point that's happened earlier this year and it is really around generative AI in particular around things like ChatGPT because and we know that the acceleration of that technology and the uptake at the consumer level was gigantic. I think it was the fastest technology to hit 1 million users, the fastest hit 100 million users. You know, it's, one, it's certainly the point, a massive inflection point. But AI has been around for a long time. I'm sure many of your listeners would know of like the Turing test and the dissemination of can you discern if it's a, um, a human or, or a a robot speaking to you. So it's not it's not a brand thing, a brand new thing. There's this whole AI winter for 30 years as well. And then you had like the Deep Blue and you had a bunch of other ones in a Siri. Siri's an example. But I think now with generative AI, this is the whole setup of can AI, you know, artificial intelligence in itself, generate obviously the generative part, text or video or you know, whatever it might be, on its own, just using inputs. And the inputs, obviously, in this case are large language models, which is going and grabbing huge amounts of data, putting that back in, and then generating it themselves. So it's a huge leap. Again, ChatGPT, OpenAI. OpenAI has been around for a little while. It's just this is this is its big leap into the, I guess, the consumer sphere. So it's pretty amazing. And I know that you've mentioned you've used this pretty substantially for certain things. I'd say most listeners would have had a go at this, I would suspect. Yeah. I was chatting to a guy called Steve Samatino just yesterday. And uh, he was saying like the ability for this technology to horizontalize and like jump from one thing to the next, like context switching is what makes it so impressive. So we have seen like OpenAI, Sam Altman have come kind of directly in the spotlight, like faster than say Mark Zuckerberg or any of those others. He's just been thrust straight into like a Senate committee. Like he gets like the hearing and he's all over the world. He's meeting like the prime ministers of different places in the world, and it's been incredible. But what's taken us from there to here, mate? Like what's been like the step changes or the genesis of that? Well, I think it's just that, and again, for those of you, for those listeners, and it sounds like you, you yourself, Owen, 
have understood that the differences between what was happening even the last couple of years around language processing, large language models, has had a genuine step change with the training of these now AI. And a lot of it comes down to like processing power and compute power. And again, you would suspect many of your listeners would know that things like NVIDIA are, when you come to the infrastructure and the compute power of that, at the forefront. So if you pair that together with the ability for the technology to get better, and these are significantly smarter people than me who are doing this, so I'm not going to pretend that I understand the, the nuances of what they're doing in detail. But again, AI has been around, but they've now had the ability with the combination of the computing power, in particular with the GPUs, in particular out of NVIDIA, to train these models to a point where it is, is, is we know that there's been a few issues with ChatGPT, with BARD around basically making stuff up or putting people in the, wrong, in the wrong direction, but it's pretty close. And I think the interesting part is, is it's what, what are we, six months in? I don't know, like, it's something like that, six months in. So it is a genuine paradigm shift of where we were before, where we are now. And then the expectation is from everyone who's sort of watching this space and, and the experts, there's going to be an acceleration as well from this point on, hence why the markets are so so focused on it. As you were just saying that, I noticed that NVIDIA was or is 13% of the semi-ETF, right? It's a big holding. Uh, and the ETF itself has performed what I would say is like incredibly well <laughs> in the last 12 months. I guess a lot of people hear how AI, machine learning, language models, all this sort of stuff is impacting them. And we talked about like our jobs and investing as you know our career and how that might change. I guess the thing that we always talk about, you and I, when we catch up is how do investors identify what is or isn't worthwhile and how do they avoid just getting sucked up into like hot themes or things like that without actually knowing if there's substance behind it? Yeah, and I think this is the interesting part. You don't know in the moment. And everyone's very good at identifying this stuff. We had this conversation and we around in hindsight going, oh, that was obvious at the time that that was a terrible idea. I'll tell you some good context here in the, around this, and this is actually also from Goldman Sachs. I mentioned Goldman Sachs twice. I've, I, we got no affiliation with Goldman Sachs at all, but but they're obviously they're pretty good at this stuff. Talking around how like how fads and bubbles work. There's also another area I won't dive into it now, and I'm I, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but bear with me. Gartner, which is a consulting firm mostly in sales, I have a basically a fad curve, which is interesting, and AI is certainly on that. Uh, but you know, so what Goldman Sachs was saying essentially was if you think about fads or bubbles. A lot of what that comes is where the hype, you know, the big hype is, is usually the expectations of revenue, of then earnings doesn't really translate because it's always this, and we've seen it, we've seen it, we saw it happen last year on tech, non-profitable tech, it's always down the, down the track. It's coming down the track, we promise we'll get there, we're going to burn some cash at this point in time, and then the eventuality when these things burst is that the profitability was never really there or it was so far down the track that it was hard to, to grasp. And there's certainly a bunch of themes or ideas that are sitting in that bucket as we speak because, and one we talk, we've talked about before, so like something like a hydrogen, which is certainly profitability is not there yet. The expectations are that it's down the track. The technology is probably not as proven, especially green hydrogen. That's an example. I just want to make sure it's something concrete as an example. The thing with AI is, there is revenue and earnings. It's happening. Like it's it's real. It's already real, and we're six months in of the generative part. 
Because the reason that NVIDIA jumped so far is because it said, and I don't quote me on these numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but we're going to make, and this is US dollars, we made circa, I think it was between 4 or $6 billion last quarter we made, and that was pretty good. A lot of driven by data centers. We're going to make $11 billion next quarter. They, they have forecast $11 billion, and a lot of it is driven out of, and this is, again, we're just trying to use an example to bring this to life, something tangible, of revenue, this is a revenue number, revenue driven by, in particular, AI and particular data centers. So that is the area where you start to understand that maybe this isn't a fad. Now, again, we're, we're, we're six months in. So I can sit here and say I don't think it is, but I, no one can be 100% sure. But the expectation is, and the way you listen to, you're great at this, right? Go and listen to a bunch of different experts. Don't get confirmation bias on this. Don't just listen to people who love it and want it and use it. Go and understand people who think it's not going to work. Figure that out. But I think the general consensus across the market is, is this is a true paradigm shift and not a, at this point, non-fat. Yeah. I was chatting to a uh, technologist not too long ago saying this is like up there with the invention of fire, right? Like, in terms of- <laughs> Okay. Now, I'm not wheeling that, that card out at this point, but that's, um, i tell you what a good analogy was that in this space, pretty close to it. So it's like the shift from PC to mobile. Where again, at that time, I'm sure you can go back and find a bunch of headlines and same with the internet, you know, when the internet came along, that this is a fad, this is quick, it's going to burn out. But those big shifts in changing of how people use, in particular, uh, computing technology, the expectations are this is another version of that. It's always been in the background for a lot of people. You know, AI is coming, talked about the singularity, singularity has been around for years. This is that inflection point where it's morphed into the Consumer sphere, again, ChatGPT is a great example of that. And I think the acceptance of it now is greater. And then the use cases now just start to grow massively. Mm. So we've mentioned a few names already. You mentioned Google Bard, which is something that I've been playing around with today and for many weeks, actually. And OpenAI, which creates ChatGPT, which is not a, a public company. So people can't really get exposure to it, although they have a partnership with Microsoft. And you mentioned NVIDIA, which is, you know, GPUs and leading the world. They've long done that, to be honest. So who are some of the kind of major players in the industry? If people are at home thinking, well, what are some of the companies? Maybe I could put them on my watch list or maybe they're included and I should try and find them in some of these ETFs. Like, which businesses are those? Well, I think what you should, I guess the context of all this stuff is how you think about all on types of investing. And this is, again, your sweet spot is, you know, you have top-down or bottom-up style of investing. And I think if we go top-down first, so we think about what this is, and there's multiple ways that you can allocate to this. One is the application. So AI is an application, software as a service, that's number one. And we can dive into these. Two is the GPUs. So we know that you just mentioned the GPUs, by far the best architecture, chipset architecture that you can generate AI and learning models. That's great. Three is the cloud. So these GPUs are stored in the cloud. That's how most people access them. If you're an AI, you want to train AI. Three. And then there's the peripheral of data management and then wrapped around with cybersecurity. So if you think about the context of AI and you want to put it into a large enterprise, that needs to be all that data that you want. If you're a bank, for example, you've got to manage all that data. I'm probably already doing it with some companies. We can talk about that. And then you need security around that. So there's kind of, we're seeing there's four ways. One is the application. And then the other sort of three are the infrastructure that helps 
the application get there? So the application is really the one where people are focusing quite a bit of their attention because they can use it, right? And they can experience it. But if you look at, say, like NVIDIA, that's like GPUs, that's the stock price has been defying all laws of gravity. And I know at least the, the Twitter community is alive with saying how this thing's going to crash and burn and all this type of stuff. Probably been saying that for like 20 years, mind you, but maybe they're right. Who knows? So in those three buckets or three categories, NVIDIA is one. Are there any other names that people should be mindful of? Yeah. So I think, so obviously, so go go to the top one. So application, this is the open AIs. Mo- to your point, most of them are private or have partnership deals with the big firms, the big scalable firms that are you know investing through them, but that's an Amazon and Microsoft. Apple's not really in this space at all, but Meta is getting involved. And that's going to be built in as a structure of like kind of like SaaS, like kind of like software as a service. It'll be AI as a service or model as a service. It'll that, That's how they'll plug that in. So you plug it into something else, you access it. We've seen that with Bing. We've seen that with what's coming as a co-pilot for Office 365, so Excel coding, you're using it for coding-wise. So there's a bunch of different ways you can do that with the application. So that at this point is not overly investable, not easily investable. We've actually seen a couple of companies rebrand from what they were to .ai companies. C3 is an example of that. Yeah, there's a couple of that that hasn't actually done as well as a particular company recently. Then you go down that next level to the infrastructure. So let's talk about some names there. So we know NVIDIA, and NVIDIA really is, to your point, is at the forefront. We won't go into the detail on the valuation because we could spend hours on that. But it is at the forefront and it's, it's miles ahead of anyone in that GPU game. You know that AMD is certainly the next best at GPUs, but the way that, in, and this is what NVIDIA is good at, they built video game GPUs, which they're essentially made them for. They pivoted to crypto really well. Now they pivoted to AI really well. And the smart part about how they did it is they put a lot of these absolute leading edge chips into data centers and that gave them access to everyone to so just buy them. They built never winning supercomputers with these, with their new CPU, GPU combo, uh, hopper combo. So like they're just miles ahead and they've got a basically an API you plug in. So again, valuation wise, I get it. It seems insane, but they are really at the forefront. So that's the GPU stuff. And then I think the other part is the cloud. This is the problem is you are talking about the Microsofts, talking about Google, you're talking with Google Cloud, you're talking about AWS with Amazon because that they have just that that whole market sewn up. They've got it sewn up. We've seen a couple of local players, uh, in particular NextDC, for example, who's a data center company. They're the infrastructure. They're in the infrastructure, not the cloud. They're the infrastructure do quite well recently. But they're the ones that are going to benefit because if you're NVIDIA, what you're doing is you're putting those chipsets in these uh, data centers, but you, the cloud infrastructure is usually run by these three big players. So they're going to benefit as well. But I think the interesting part is, and you would you know, inherently know this, Owen, if you think about it, you're not going to, if you broke apart the revenue lines of those companies, you're not going to see an AI line. Like it's not going to say AI, X amount of money. It's a competitive play and it's going to boost them against their competitors. So example with obviously Microsoft with, uh, with ChatGPT into Bing, that was a, a boost in search. You might see a greater search revenue out of that, but you won't see, it won't just say, hey, AI is, X amount of money it's gone up. So that's hard to play because they're the big guys. And then the last one, again, some interesting names, which is the data management and the cybersecurity. I think Snowflake's an interesting one there. They're certainly pairing or putting AI as part of their data management systems and an element of security. Uh, another company that's an interesting one is called ServiceNow, which again is par- actually partnering with NVIDIA. Yep. 
partnering with NVIDIA and inheriting this space. But they're essentially enterprise software. No, none of you and me aren't going to go on and, and, and build that out. But that's the interesting part. When the enterprise tips over to using AI to the point of productivity, how do they make their current employees better? How do they reduce their labor force? That's where it's going to get interesting and that's where they're going to use all these companies. So I think there's, I think there's multiple ways to play this. It's just not this one singular focus. Mm. Those are some really interesting businesses. I see a lot of them. And I think it's really telling too because a lot of people like say, oh, well, maybe I'll buy OpenAI or maybe I'll buy Microsoft if I can't do that. And you're right. I feel like at least at this phase, like into the foreseeable future, I think from my perspective, what we'll see is general revenue increase across all business lines or most business lines. Like if you think about, well, maybe we can automate like 10 different tasks within the Google Cloud platform that we didn't before. So Google Cloud will get a big hit from it. And maybe people like myself that use Google Cloud or GCP, the name for it, maybe there's like automation tools in there that use BARD to make my life easier. So I'm going to pay an extra 200 bucks a month, right? That's like that application and the cloud level. And I think the other part of it is, it's it, it, and exactly what it is, it's the ecosystem. If Microsoft then plugged this into Excel, and and I'm a pretty average Excel user, I'm okay, but I'm average, and but it enhances my ability significantly. You're never going to change. Like it, it again, it locks you into an ecosystem you're already locked into. That's the kind of mentality that, to your point around Google Cloud, that's the way. So you will see a boost in revenue because they know that they can charge more, and no one's ever going to leave. And then if they do it as packages, we know how Microsoft works as Office 365. If you want the AI package, you're going to pay an extra. 10%, whatever the number is. And if you don't do it, you're at a disadvantage to everyone else who is doing it. Again, what choice do you have? So that's where it starts to flow through to the revenue. You're right. Yeah. I think a lot of these companies, and I'm, I'm going to bring up the semi-ETF again, just because it is so topical. Like there's businesses in here like NVIDIA, Broadcom, TSMC, which is a business that for many different reasons is incredibly like, it's a focal point for everyone uh, because of what it does and how important it is. Politically, like it's a huge deal. A huge deal. And then you've got ASML, which is like for the lithography machines, which is basically the only one that supplies that. It keeps those businesses running. Um, so it's a really interesting supply chain. And you've got, so I'll call out the GX products just for full disclosure, right? GX, Global X offer these three funds. But we've got Robo, which is Global Robotics. There's the semi-ETF, which is like semiconductor focus, which is where you'll find NVIDIA and others. But then you've got FANG, which FANG has been a hugely successful investment for people. Drew Meredith Blair, my co-host on The Weekend Show, said it could be his greatest call ever to invest (laughs) in FANG uh, late last year because these companies at the time were cutting costs and whatever. And they had to because like the US was on the verge of a recession and all these types of things, right? And then we come into 2023, they've cut costs, but they're still the dominant brands in the world for technology. So people like, your, to your point, aren't going to give up Office 365 just because for whatever little reason, it has to be a substantial reason, probably a business failure for them to give it up. But then along comes like the AI tools that they can bolt in, which only boost productivity of users that are in that. So you've kind of been met with this, oh, we're kind of, who knows where we're going next to all of a sudden, hold on a second, these businesses are going to emerge many times more interesting and potentially more valuable and hence the performance. I guess the question for you is, do you see this as more of a top-down play than a bottom-up? Like maybe if you just talk through the risk and reward characteristics. Yeah, I think at the moment it's 100% is. It's a large cap play. It's a large cap play because they've got 
the cash balances and they've got the ability to spend money in this space where, to your point, it's you know, highly likely recessionary later this year for the US, maybe early next year. And these guys have just got absolute huge amounts of, of cash sitting around. And that's why I think if you look at the, the FANG names in particular, they have run significantly harder than the broader NASDAQ. And they are, they're all part of the broader NASDAQ. But if you look at FANG as a, which is an interesting, an equal weighted index. So if you're fully exposed to NVIDIA, you, which is up, I don't know, 180, 190% this year, which is obviously insane, you are you benefiting significantly out of that FANG. So FANG, yeah, FANG has done really well. And look, but from a, it was tough. It was a tough year last year. So FANG had a really tough run. So you're coming off a lower base. So it just, you know, you look at things like year to date numbers and you're like, oh, it's amazing. But off, if you look at it over a context of a year, maybe it's not so good. Certainly at the moment, the moment it's a large cap play. I think the interesting part is when you think about where a lot of these AI businesses are, they're private. So you think about the VC players, you think about even some of the open AI obviously was established by, I think Elon was in there in the early days. I think maybe Amazon, maybe Microsoft earlier days as well. So you've got these big players allocating to these names. Now, some of them are going to stay private. That's fine. But you've got this window and markets are pretty hot still, and we're not in a recession just yet. So you've got this window where if the hype stays around, it does give private AI companies who've got some established base and have good knowledge to list. So they can then list. They then are purchasable either by an ETF, that they come into an ETF, an AI-focused ETF, great, or by anyone else, usually going to be US-based. US so, again, the speed of what's is happening because it's happening so quickly the expectation is you at the moment large cap, but you're probably going to get the small to mid cap opportunity. Probably not later in this year, but you know later, maybe later this year, early next year, to mid next year. That's when that will play out, where you'll get more focused AI companies. I saw someone again. I'm not saw the numbers. It's three guys set up a new AI business. They've all got really good pedigree from a bunch of great AI firms and raised like a hundred over hundred million in three days. Like it's that, that's the speed of what this is happening. And if they can get something that's very early for them, but as an example, if they could get something that works really well and then they could, that wouldn't be the one, but that someone like them could list, it gives the VC a firm way out, probably paying a little bit, you know, getting good premiums out of it. And then you're getting more available for investors like myself and yourself and anyone on your listeners to be able to play this space because we're just not going to ever get in the private space. It's going to be too hard for us. Yeah. But in the meantime, there are still these blue chip businesses, right? You said, so you still have the Googles and the maybe Facebooks and the Microsofts of the world and NVIDIAs, which is still amazing and incredible businesses. And like, I think we've got used to as like investors, generally speaking, this idea that big companies can grow by 20% or 30% a year for five or 10 years. I think we've kind of become numb to that. But that when you think about that, like these are hundreds of billions of dollars, some of these companies growing at that pace is just unbelievable and it's through innovations like this. It is and this is, you know, harks back to the early days of the 2000s and technology boom. It's because they are scalable whereas if you're a bank and you want to grow at 20%, you need 20% more mortgages out there or if you're a mining company, you just, you can't snap your fingers and go and pull out of the ground. So because they're so scalable so quickly, you build this AI and it is the large language model is built, they can get to 100 million users in two months, like it's hard to emulate that in any other business area outside of technology. So that's why you pay these pretty obviously insane premiums for these. And that's why even NVIDIA, which is uh, 
a hardware business. So it doesn't really have a lot of software. It's got this, again, this API, this toolkit, but hardware, I think the number the other day was 186 times current revenue. But then that number is expected to go down to 50 PE because they've basically forecast this 11 million. So this space is moving quickly. If you go on old school Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch fundamentals, it's going to be hard to understand that. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying that's the difference where, to your point where the growth numbers are so insane because they look at their opportunity set and look at their like total wrestle market and they go, well, we, we can still grow massively. It's interesting because uh, I just looked up the number. This is just a number from Google. So I never trust the, it's funny, I never trust the Google finance for the, the multiples, but um, it's on a price earnings ratio, according to Google, as at this date, of 221 and a dividend yield of 0.038%. So a lot baked into the expectations of NVIDIA into the future. Maybe they're right. Like you said, maybe they're wrong. Who knows? Well, yeah. So the number that I got was from Bloomberg, just FYI, I think they're probably slightly more reliable than Google. <laughs> yeah. And so the, yeah, the dividend yields no, a bit low, but you know that's partly the reason that they have obviously much better, a more beneficial tax regime in the US for buybacks. They did 100, 100 million. So like they, they are doing that instead of doing it that way. But yeah, look, still astronomical numbers. You know, it's essentially saying it, it takes you, if it's 186, 186 years to pay back your, your money, well, good luck. Yeah. 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 So I've got a couple more questions for you, Blair. Uh, one of them is, I guess, some of the risks or challenges that AI presents. So it's all well and good for us to talk about like the kind of the value add that comes from these tools. But how about on the flip side, like I saw an email this morning about the proliferation of AI-backed scams, for example. How do you think about that? Obviously, there's two avenues. There's how does it affect your life? And, that, and the first risk, obviously, is does it take away your, your opportunity? I don't know the average, I don't know what your average age of a listener is, but the opportunity to work in your current field that you've just studied all this time for or you've built this experience over and you're just about to get wiped out because of some new technology. And look, that's happened for years. You know, there's you can go back and find newspaper articles around automation or robotics that this is the same situation. What it does do is open up another subset of opportunities of employment. And like, you know, again, we spoke about the fact that you're using it a little bit to get better at coding. That's a great example of that. If you can get really good at those protocols and those inputs, you're going to do better than certainly better than me. So I think there's that side. So there's that, there's that whole avenue. I think the risks on the investment side which is where we're always going to tend to, is probably to that point, it's, you know, we're six months in, you're possibly paying really high premiums for something that you just don't really know. And it does hark back to those tech boom days of kind of a little bit of blind faith. There's some backing to it. But again, hindsight, when you look in hindsight in a couple of years' time, you go, geez, was this a good idea? It was a bad idea at the time. I don't know the answer to that. So, but So the big question really is who are going to be, like who are going to be the big winners here? And we're suggesting that it's going to be the big players. But again, are they going to be? If you look, we use the example again, we used it earlier. So mobile, PC to mobile, what happened in that space? Who are the big winners? Who are the big losers? If something like an Intel didn't really do well in mobile, it stayed in PC, x86 architecture, it didn't really win out of that. Nokia, another example, big in the early days mobile, didn't win. BlackBerry is a really good example of that. My point is it's so early that to know where the big winners are, it's hard to play that out. The good thing is, and this is not perfect, a perfect answer, and you would expect this coming from me because I'm an ETF guy, but if you're buying an index that's focused on this space or a version of this, because indexes change and 
you know, in a situation you are, if you're exposed to BlackBerry and Index, it's going to fall, but then you're going to get those new up-and-comers in there as well. So you benefit kind of on both ways. But if you're willing to do your own research, pick the stocks, yeah, it's going to be hard to know exactly which one or which couple or which five, you know, that are going to be the big winners here. Over time, I've kind of deemed this as like an anti-fragile way to invest, like the ETFs being an anti-fragile way to invest because, like you said, they evolve to most of the most ETFs, not all, of course, but they evolve to what's working and what's not over time. You'll get the fads and whatever in the short term, but over time they evolve. I love this book and I've referenced it a few times on the show, which is The Gorilla Game written in like 1997. It's called Investing in High Technology. And in that, this was like before ETFs were really mainstream, particularly in technology sector. And um, they would advocate for this ability to just go and buy like a basket of like 10 or five or just whoever you think might be the gorilla in that industry. And then once you realize, then sell all the other ones and invest in the, the winners. And if you think about an ETF, it kind of does that for you because it, it identifies it based on the index and then the things that aren't successful fall out, which is kind of cool. And that's one of the virtues of it, right? So yeah. Okay. So we've we've been chatting for 36 minutes, 37 minutes, Blair, on um, AI. But if you could maybe give listeners to this who are wanting exposure, I know most of us are wanting exposure to this, give us three of kind of like your core takeaways on everything we've spoken about. What are the three things you want to leave people with? Yeah. Okay. So I think it's, we're going to reiterate what I said before. It's still super early in terms of this generative eye shift and where, the, where we're going and where we're going to be, how long that takes. So it's very, very early in the game. If you think about the longevity of most investing, six months is not, you know, that's seen as ultra short. And that's as far as we're in to this sort of generative AI program. The second part of that, that is, though, is my view is at this point with my research that I've done is that I, I genuinely do believe that, and I'm taking this from more experts, again, from the investment fields and from the technology fields, that this is generally a true, true paradigm shift of computing technology and of the use case of computers like we saw with the internet, like we saw with PCs and mobile. So I, I, I actually genuinely believe that now. I've, I've got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable with that. That doesn't mean I know what the best ways to play it are. To that point we just mentioned, like who are they going to be the big winners? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I genuinely don't know. So that's what gets me to the point of, well, there always is going to be multiple ways to play something like this, which is a theme. So it might be through semiconductors, which gets you exposure to NVIDIA, but a bunch of different ways because that's what ETFs help you with because it's, it is hard to pick the winner. It might be through robotics automation and how they're going to utilize AI to be much more efficient, how that impacts labor forces, workforces globally. Or it might be through FANG at the top end and you want to play the big guys because they can demonstrate that they've got the cash balances, they've got really low debt, they can spend in this space and they're going to, they see something on the horizon, they're going to spend big. So I think they're my three points. So understand it's early, understand your risks involved in that. Obviously, do some more work on yourself, but I think from my end, it sounds like you're on the same boat. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but that this is a big, truly big change in paradigm shift, which is what thematics are all about. You need to be long-term with this, as always, in mathematics, but that's what it's all about. And then think about how you play it. So there's probably three, four, five ways to play it, whether that's companies or ETFs or whatever, however else you might want to do it. But you don't have to just go, uh, I'm going to just try to buy, buy an AI company and see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that's a great piece of advice on the end there, mate. Well, this has been heaps of fun talking about AI, talking about the businesses surrounding this industry. I think when we fed of what you say, 
I think that this is too like a paradigm shift in so many ways. And I think one way or another, I think all investors have to have exposure to this. And this is not necessarily me saying go out and buy everything, but you need to consider some exposure, whether it's if you're just in a business that's like a typical industrial business, maybe now's the time you consider using uh, some like ETF or an investment in a stock or stocks, plural, to get some exposure to this. So just to recap, we talked about some of the ETFs from Global X's range, including uh, the Semi, Robo, and Fang ETF in particular. So we also talked about Hydrogen, HGen uh, there too. So you can find out more information about those and including the product disclosure statement on the Global X ETFs website. It's globalxetfs.com.au. And Blair is a regular on the show now, so you'll probably hear him come up a bit. But um, there's plenty of research from the Global X team on the website as well, including highlighting some of the stocks that are inside of these ETFs and what they do and how they do it. So be sure to check out the show notes for all of that. But Blair, mate, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Alan. It was, uh, yeah, look, it was fantastic. I think, uh, as I said, I think we share the same vision here. So it's good to speak to a, a fellow acolyte of AI. <laughs> yeah, cheers, mate. All the best. Thanks. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.